Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got an awesome Tuesday morning show for you today, including the annual tax hike on your beer, wine, and spirits. Now, Justin Trudeau calls this his escalator tax on booze. That's a good name for it because just like an escalator, it never stops going up. It's another increase scheduled for April Fool's Day this year, 4.7%. That is the scheduled tax hike on April 1st. The industry fighting back. Once again, they have hired Bob and Doug McKenzie from the Great White North here to make the case for them. These ads, are they're, they're quite hilarious, actually. Take a listen here. Good day. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? Okay, everything else in Canada is frozen, eh? Freeze the beer tax, too. Come on, MPs. You're elected to serve, so serve the beer. Okay, yeah, take off, eh? Take that tax hike off my beer, eh? You hoser. <laughs> so I'll play a bit more of that uh, that ad campaign for you later. I'll also speak to the president of Beer Canada. That's the uh, largest uh, association for the beer industry in Canada. That's coming up here at the first hour of the show. So we have all that. We've got lots more. But first today, we start with Drugs Behind Bars, the drug overdose crisis in bc jails now we are seeing a large spike in drug use and overdoses behind bars in bc prisons and jails got john randall standing by to discuss here now if you're wondering wait a sec these guys are in jail how do they get drugs are you kidding me it's easy to smuggle drugs into jail have a listen to this report from global news reporter darian matassa fung on drone deliveries drugs to bc prisons so how does it work A drone will be launched a short distance away, flies over the razor wire fences, it descends and drops drugs, weapons and cell phones right into the outstretched hands of inmates, sometimes through prison cell windows. A drone can literally fly up like almost like an Amazon delivery right within feet of the window. Drugs, weapons and cell phones are flooding into BC institutions, which means more violence, gang influence and overdoses. Okay, this is of great concern to prison guards now. Let's speak to John Randall, Pacific Region President at the Union of Canadian Correctional Officers. Very pleased to welcome him back. John, thank you for coming on today. Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. So when we take a look at some of the drug smuggling that's going on in jails, just before we get into the needle exchange program and your concerns there, John, like how, how much are you seeing, what, what kind of spike or increase are you seeing in drugs being smuggled into the prisons? Uh, it's growing daily um, with the with the drones and, and all those methods of bringing drugs in. It's one of our biggest concerns right now as correctional officers in the federal institutions. Yeah, Tell me about these drones. Like, how easy is it for these drones? Like, we've been hearing about these drone drops for a long time, and I'm just thinking, like, can't they figure this out? Can't they string a net over the prison yard? Like, what's going on there? Well, we've been lobbying both the Correctional Service Canada and the federal government um, because you're right, things like netting seem really simple to us, but uh, for whatever reason, it's all sort of red tape and it's all caught behind that. We have had some success um, recently, though, with uh, a lot of the pressure we put on. Uh, um, so they are uh, in the works of uh, installing some detection systems. Um, so we're crossing our fingers that that should be coming in the next uh, in the next month, they say. So we'll see how that turns out. 
What happens if guards catch prisoners with drugs? Do they take the drugs away from them? Well, normally and historically, yeah, I would say yes, we would normally uh, confiscate the drugs and, and basically treat it like a crime. But uh, recently, and especially with this introduction of the prison needle exchange program, that's all changed now. Now we're unclear at what our role is, is when it comes to finding drugs in a cell of a prisoner. Okay, let's talk about this needle exchange program. What are your concerns there? Well, our concerns are the exact same as what the coroner's report stated, which is just giving out needles and letting people do drugs, whether they're in the community or in prisons, um, is not going to stop the overdose crisis. Uh, and I want to be clear, like correction officers still believe that dr- uh, prison should be a zero drug environment. Our role should be to get them off of drugs and we should be stopping drugs from coming in. However, based on some human rights and court decisions, the CSC has decided to implement this prison needle exchange program, which we find uh, completely, uh, it's a useless system. It does nothing. Um, it's a checkbox and it's just to make them look good, but it's going to probably increase overdoses, not decrease them. And that's exactly what the coroner's report said. Okay. CSC Correctional Service of Canada. So how does this work now? This, this needle exchange program, the, the prisoners are allowed to use drugs then in their cells. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. They sign up oh. for the program. They're given a little injection kit, uh, to keep in their cells and, and they're allowed to use drugs. They're allowed to use the drugs that have been smuggled into the jail illegally. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. And what kind of impact is that having? Like, what are your guys seeing there? Well, we're seeing overdoses on the rise. We're also see- yeah. seeing the violence uh, rise because obviously that creates a whole new drug subculture. Um, you know, it's basically now there's going to be, you know, organized crime groups trying to get drugs into the institutions and they're going to be operating with a bit of, uh, a, you know, like a lawless society now. So, um, and the violence is is huge right now. We are seeing assaults on correction officers um, through the roof. We're seeing assaults inmate on inmate through the roof. Uh, and there's no end in sight as long as these drugs keep coming in and they're allowed to use them. Yeah, when you talk about that subculture about crime in the jails, like if there's a lot of drugs coming in by drone drops, et cetera, are, are you seeing actual drug dealing in the jails? Like are some guys dealing drugs to other prisoners? Oh, for sure. That's yeah. all part of that that culture is someone will bring it in, they'll muscle one inmate to hold the drugs, and other inmates responsible for distributing. Um, and, you know, and with our limited resources and staffing shortages as it is, this is just another level of of stress for correction officers uh, in the inside the jails. Yeah. Speaking of John Randall, Union of Canadian Correctional Officers, the spike in drug use, drug dealing, drug overdose uh, overdoses in BC prisons. Um, what do you want to see? You've got concerns about this this needle exchange program. How would you like to see this changed? Well, the two things we'd like to see. Number one, we'd like to see the CSC really clamp down and keep drugs out of prison. Let's get these inmates who are in prison majority of them for drug-related crimes, off drugs, and back into the communities so that they're not committing crimes like we're seeing the spike in the communities. And the second is, if they do proceed with this, at least make the proper programming. Like the coroner's report and the BC coroner said that overdose prevention sites are the preferred method because it comes with not only medical supervision when they're doing these tainted drugs, but also comes with the psychological and counseling supports to hopefully get them off of drugs. And that's what we're pushing for, not just hand them a needle and say, go to your drugs in your cell. Yeah. So if, if prisoners are going to do drugs in jail, you're saying that it should be on a, a supervised part of the prison where they're what observed by a nurse in case they overdose. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, there's one system in the country right now in Drumheller Institution, which they've got that OPS and uh, overdose prevention site and it works. Uh, now it's not great because we still don't want drugs, but at least we've had no overdose deaths um, at that site. So that's a good thing. Let me ask you about the continuing drone drops and the drone smuggling that we're seeing, John, and your continuing advocacy to, to put an, a stop to this. Let me play a clip here for you. Correctional Service of Canada spokesperson here, Mistral Mayor, uh, talking about, she, she says they're actually making, the, the system is actually making progress in stopping these type of, uh, this type of smuggling activity. Let's listen, then I'll get your thoughts. We've seen a lot of successes across the country when it comes to uh, those more traditional methods of detection as well. Uh, some of the greatest successes that we've seen is by having staff be vigilant, uh, utilizing our intelligence program as well. Okay, so she's saying the staff should be vigilant, use the intelligence program. What is that? You have like uh, someone who's feeding you information in the prison, like some prisoners will give information to the guards? Is that what's going on? Well, we... We have, I guess there's a few methods. We have the security intelligence office, which is uh, officers who that's their role is to collect intel. We work with law enforcement agencies to try and collect intel and, and hopefully come up with these things. And the second is is the, the correction officers right in the units there. Oftentimes um, they'll be talking to inmates or they'll be searching cells and find evidence. So that's what, that's what she's talking about. But I guess the success is relative, right? Like when you have so many drugs coming into an institution, of course you're going to find lots more drugs because there's so much more in the institution. So I guess uh, when you look at the number of drone drops, I would question how the success has actually been when the number of drops is so high. Yeah. And are you seeing, in addition to drugs, are you seeing weapons, cell phones being smuggled into the jails by drone? Yeah, absolutely. Weapons and cell phones. In fact, um, last year uh, was the highest number of cell phones uh, found in an institution I've ever seen in my career. Wow. Uh, and the weapons, well, they're just getting uh, no longer the traditional prison shank. You're looking at now traditional uh, pocket knives and, 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 and whatnot coming into the institutions. How many cell phones did you see? Record high number you're mentioning there. How many? Uh, we, we saw hundreds at one institution. So we, wow. we're waiting for the exact, yeah, we're waiting for the exact figures, but we have one institution here in BC that saw hundreds of cell phones last year. Which institution was that? That was out at Kent, the maximum security. Kent, yeah. Yeah, that's, ma that's a maximum federal jail, isn't it? That's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. And when you've got all these prisoners with on cell phones, what is the impact of that? I mean, they can, can they continue running running their criminal activities uh, from behind bars that should be the biggest fear is exactly that the you know the organized crime groups who are in prison are now able to conduct normal business on the outside and the second scary part which i think uh is really bad is is also victimization like people are in prison because they have victims on the streets and they're not supposed to be contacting those victims but if we give them uh, complete access to cell phones well, how easy is that going to be to re-victimize their victims that they're already in prison for? So. What, what happens when you find the cell phone? You take the cell phone away? Yeah, we confiscate it. It yeah. usually gets shared with the SIOs and the RCMP to try and determine who and where. But it, obviously with technology, that's really tough. So Yeah. And, and then what? Yeah, then another drone just drops another phone off the next day, I guess. That seems to be the reoccurring pattern yeah. right now. We take one and two more come in. So yeah, are the, are the prisoners just laughing at you guys, like behind your back here, you know, just with these drones, just you know, with without with impunity, just dropping off drugs and weapons and phones? I, I think that they're with, they're aware of of what's going on, and and they're they're making a lot of money off of this for sure. Um, 
I wouldn't say they're laughing, but they definitely know that they have the advantage right now just because yeah. of the pure numbers. Like we find one, they bring in two, and there's really minimal consequences right now. And that's part of the problem we have is, is that um, there's not much consequence from the CSC or the federal government on this. John, thank you for continuing to speak out on this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Talk about the looming alcohol tax hike in Canada and BC. Hold on to your beers here. The price of your favorite sud set to go up again. Ditto for wine and spirits. This is the annual federal ex, uh, escalator tax, they call it. It's a, that's a good name for it because it just goes up automatically ever, every year, never stops going up. So April 1st, we get the tax hike coming at you again. Got CJ Healy standing by to discuss. Once again, Beer Canada, they are bringing out the big guns here on this one. Bob and Doug McKenzie from the great, great white north here to fight against the beer tax hike. Let's have a listen to one of these ads here. I find them quite funny. On April the 1st, Ottawa plans to raise the tax on beer by another 6%. What do Canadians think? We don't like it, eh? Good day, I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother Doug. How's it going, eh? Okay, everything else in Canada is frozen, eh? Freeze the beer tax, too. Come on, MPs. You're elected to serve, so serve the beer. And hold the tax, eh? A message from Beer Canada. Stop the hike. Visit hereforbeer.ca. We approve this message, eh? Well, I don't approve of you. Take off. Okay, let's discuss now with C.J. Healy, president of Beer Canada. C.J., thank you for coming on today. Good morning, Mike. Okay, I know you've got Bob and Doug uh, rolled out again on, on some of these ads. That was an ad from last year that the tax hike last year that you were fighting was six percent. Is this year's four point seven percent tax increase correct? That's right. So last year we were facing the six point three percent hit. Uh, at the end of the day, the government listened to Bob and Doug and capped it at two percent, but they only did it for one year hoping that inflation would miraculously go back to uh, the Bank of Canada's 2% target uh, immediately. That didn't happen. So, yes, we are facing another astronomically high, uh, nearly 5% increase, uh, given the current circumstances, just not a, a tax hit that we can absorb at this point. Okay, close to a 5% increase set to kick in on April 1st. And this is an automatic tax hike, right? They don't have to pass this tax hike in the House of Commons. It's, it automatically increases every year, correct? That's right. So in the first you yeah. know, 150 years of democracy in Canada, taxes were raised only after a vote and debate in Parliament. But in 2017, the government of the day increased beer, wine and spirit taxes by 2%, but did something very sneaky. They added this automatic inflation indexing uh, to the tax rates, thinking that we'd be in this Goldilocks economy forever of 1% to 2% econ- uh, uh, 1% to 2% inflation, very low interest rates. And as we all know, that's not the world we're living in. Yeah, and it also, I think the plan there was it insulates them maybe from some political criticism if they don't have to vote in the House of Commons to increase taxes every year on alcohol. Maybe they think, oh, maybe this will just fly under the radar. People won't even notice it. But I I wonder if it's kind of backfired because it seems like every year now at this time, people know this tax hike is coming. It's automatic. And people get angry about it all over again. So what what will be the impact of this? Like another a close to a five percent tax hike on April first. What's the impact of that? 
So on beer alone, and as you mentioned, Mike, it affects spirits and wine as well. It's about yeah. a $33 million hit on the industry at a time when brewers in BC and across the country are really having a hard time passing on their market-based cost increases. You know, barley's up 40%, packaging costs up 20, 25%, transport costs have doubled, and the consumer doesn't feel that they're in a position to pay more for uh, these discretionary items like beer. Um, so they're in a really tough spot about how are they going to absorb $33 million in new taxes on April 1st? They can't. And the, we fear uh, it would just push too many over the brink. Yeah, and it really hits consumers. What about small business as well? Because if you run a restaurant, pub, uh, anything like that, you are going to have to pass these costs on to your customers too, right? At a time when a lot of restaurants, bars, and pubs are, are struggling right now. Both small brewers and small independent bars and restaurants, over 50% of them are either breaking even or losing money. Uh, and so they're in a very precarious position. They can't afford to pay more for their input costs so for a keg of beer. And when they're talking to their consumer, they're saying they can't charge more for a pint of beer. So it really puts them into a no-win situation if the government goes ahead with this beer tax hike. Right. And last year, if we go back to last year, you guys ran a very effective campaign on the tax hike last year. That's when you unveiled this ad campaign by Bob and Doug McKenzie, got a lot of attention. I think it was effective. Was that your was was that your perception last year that the industry campaign, it certainly got the government to back off a bit, right? Absolutely. So we knew yeah. we had votes in Parliament if it could get to a vote. Right. Because we were talking to MPs and they said, well, yeah, we're not going to be this stupid and, and raise beer taxes, given everything that was going on. But it was getting lost in all the bigger issues that were going on in Ottawa. So what Bob and Doug is raised that level of debate to a point where they couldn't ignore it and they had to come to a conclusion. And they, and in my view, they came to the right decision. They capped the increase at two percent last year. And that's what we're hoping for again this year. Speaking of C.J. Healy, president of Beer Canada, it's the largest industry association for beer brewers in the, in the country. What is your sense now? I mean, are you hearing from any MPs this year that they might give you a break again this year? If it was up to the MPs, we'd have almost unanimous support in Parliament. So the, the, the challenge we have is to make sure that it's included in the budget considerations. And as you know, Mike, it's not always the elected official who gets to decide those things. So we're talking uh, to um, officials in the prime minister's office and the minister of finance office to make sure that we get due consideration and it's included in this year's budget so that local members of parliament can vote yay or nay on the biggest beer tax hike in the last 40 years on Canadians. What, what, how does, how do beer prices in Canada compare to other jurisdictions? It just seems to me that we already have very high alcohol prices here in this country. Is that true? I mean, are we higher than other countries typically? Absolutely. Uh, we are, in fact, the highest average beer prices, uh, sorry, beer taxes in Canada. Uh, uh, sorry, Canada has the highest beer taxes in all G7 countries. Uh, nearly 50% of the price on average of beer in Canada are taxes already. So we're not starting from zero. We're not acting for a tax break, a tax reduction. We're just saying stop hitting us at this point in time where taxes are already through the roof. Yeah, so you're asking for, you're not saying you want the tax at zero. You're saying instead of a, a near 5% tax increase this year, you want, you're at, you're suggesting 2%. Yeah, right? we think that's a reasonable compromise, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it was 2% it was two last year. What do they have to do in order to do that? Like if this is the law that the tax goes up every single year according to inflation, 
how do they stop it from going up? Can they do that by just by a simple, like a stroke of the pen by a cabinet order or something? No, it really has to be in the budget and uh, budget. Oh. Implementation. So that's what we're shooting for. Uh, there's no firm date in Ottawa for this year's budget, but we think it'll be the third week of March. So that's yeah. what we're targeting. We're asking everybody to uh, go to hereforbeer.ca, reach out to their local MP and get them to intervene with the Minister of Finance and say, let's put this in this year's budget and cap it at 2% or less. Okay, we're following it closely. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. On April the 1st, Ottawa plans to raise the tax on beer by another 6%. What do Canadians think? Whoever came up with this idea gets no back bacon, eh? Good day, I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? Why don't you tax some other stuff, eh? Like yams, confetti, or liver, eh? I hate liver. Leave beer alone, eh? A message from Beer Canada. Stop the hike. Visit hereforbeer.ca. Take a hike, Ottawa. We drink responsibly. So tax responsibly. You gotta hand it to Beer Canada for their inventive ad campaign. Once again, they got Bob and Doug McKenzie rolled out here to fight the looming alcohol tax set to kick in on April 1st. Let's check in with Jeff Guinard now, Executive Director, Alliance of Beverage Licensees. Jeff, thank you for coming on. My pleasure, Mike. Jeff, how does this impact bars, pubs, restaurants in BC when this with this tax looming here on alcohol? Yeah, well, the the sad truth about this is, I mean, I guess I would say first off, as everyone probably knows, you know, the liquor industry is heavily taxed and, and heavily regulated all across the country, and for some good reasons. But at this time right now, as of April first, we're going to see about a five percent increase on federal excise taxes. So that's a tax applied to the production of alcohol. So it's paid by breweries wineries, distilleries. So when your pubs and bars and restaurants and private liquor stores and others purchase it from them, they're going to be paying a higher price. We're paying a higher price. We're passing it off to, off to consumers as well. So at this time of record inflation and challenges with affordability, uh, it doesn't really seem like me to be the right time to put up taxes, but that's what's happening uh, unless we can get the, the federal government to change course. Yeah, and as you mentioned here, this is a tax that is applied at the production level, right? So maybe yes. maybe the government thinks that consumers are not going to see it, but I mean, prices will go up, correct? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, though, a few years ago, the federal government indexed these these excise taxes to inflation, and right. you know, at the time, it didn't really seem like that big of a deal because inflation was never really more than two percent. So. Uh, just went up a little bit. But now when inflation, I mean, last year it was over 6%. This year it's almost 5%. Customers will notice that. And it's frustrating for us because it's, we, we call it an automatic escalator tax, right? Because it just keeps on going up, even if no one's yeah. riding the escalator. And that's really frustrating for businesses like those in the hospitality industry that are already struggling with serious cost increases. And I mean, you've probably seen the news, but about 50% of hospitality businesses in BC aren't even making money right now. So we, we can't afford to pay more, and we know our customers can't afford to pay more, particularly since the only reason this is happening is so that federal government makes more money, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, do you think that's a fair way to raise taxes in our country? I mean, it used to be if you wanted to raise a tax in Canada, you'd have to go and vote on it in the House of Commons. Absolutely. This, this system here is like you call it the it's called the escalator tax just automatically yes. goes up every single year. And I, and yeah, I feel think nuts. that, yeah, it doesn't seem fair. I mean, I think maybe the politicians were thinking, well, well, this is a way that we can we can uh, we can shield ourselves from any kind of criticism because we don't have to vote on it every year. It just goes up automatically. But I think they're getting more heat, actually. 
Yeah, I, I hope they are right now. And if you don't want the price of your beer, wine, or spirits to go up in April by up to 5%, I would encourage you listening to send a note to your member of parliament of all parties, because this is not about you know liberals and conservatives and NDP. This is about parliament. So no matter who is your representative, send them a note and say, please axe the automatic escalator tax uh, on alcohol. Uh, you know, I, I used to work on Parliament Hill. I was a staff member up there for a number of years. And Parliament has two fundamental jobs, right? One of them is to to pass bills, uh, things like, you know, the criminal code, make it illegal to murder and to steal things. That makes sense. Another one is to run the nation's budget. Uh, and can you imagine at your household if you just had automatically increasing expenses without paying attention to reality? To me, it's, it would be as, as silly as saying, you know, you get an inflationary increase at your salary and the federal government increases uh, income taxes by an inflationary amount at the same time and takes it, right? It just doesn't make any sense. It's not smart tax policy. Okay, this may, this whole issue is, is starting to sound familiar because every year it seems like the same thing. Last year, we had a similar campaign. The government did blink yeah. last year and they said, okay, okay, fine, we'll, we'll just do a 2% tax increase last year because inflation was so high. What is yeah. your read? So the, the, the lobbying by yourself and others last year I thought was quite effective. What is your read on it this year? Do you think the government's open to this? Yeah, I mean, first off, the the federal government was trying to fix a strange problem because uh, excise taxes hadn't gone up in a long time. So they said, OK, we'll put them up. And they did this a few years ago. And, you know, nobody really noticed because it was inflation was under 2%. But yeah. last year was the first year we saw out of control inflation. So we went to the federal government and it took, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of work from industry associations and business groups. And we got them to say, OK, we will cap it at 2% for this year, which felt like an equitable compromise. We're asking for them to do at least the same thing this year. There's a couple of other factors that have changed out there as well, right? I mean, I don't know if you saw yesterday, but we are at a 36-year high for insolvencies in small businesses in Canada. And in our industry, some in the hospitality industry, in the last 10 months, there's been a 43% increase in bankruptcies. Now, some of that is tied directly to we just, a few weeks ago, had to pay back those SIBA loans that the federal government gave yeah. us during the pandemic. So the, the logic of this is a bit baffling. On one hand, they recognized that these small businesses were the backbones of communities, and we had to support them through the pandemic. And now they're slapping them with tax increases and calling in their loans due. I know we'd like to pretend the pandemic is over, and it is for practical purposes, but financially, our industry is still being hurt by it. So we need more time to recover, and that's what we're asking the federal government to do. And if uh, you agree with us, please write to your member of parliament and ask them to do the same. Jeff, thank you for coming on. It is my pleasure. Have a great day. Let's talk about whether people can afford to retire. Now, I'm hearing more and more from listeners, friends, acquaintances. Maybe they're in their 60s, nearing retirement age, or where you would normally think about retiring. 65, right? They can't afford to retire. They've got to keep working. Such a tough economy right now. A lot of people have not saved adequately for their retirement years. People are living older, too. A lot of people are continuing to work. Now, sometimes it's by choice. Sometimes it is by necessity. Now, does that include you? I'm looking forward to your phone calls on this. So get set to call me and let me know if you have been able to retire comfortably or if you're still working. Maybe you're working, by maybe you want to keep working. Got Natalie, a Chaz chick, standing by to discuss here first. Have a listen first here. This report, Global News reporter Sean Preville, about Canadians who have not saved enough money to retire. Have a listen. 
Canadians gearing up for retirement may have to make some adjustments to avoid a bumpy road ahead. A new report by Deloitte Canada found only 14% of near retirees, those between 55 and 64, are expected to be comfortable when they leave their jobs. But about 55% may have to make some lifestyle changes to avoid outliving their financial savings. Uh, they, they just haven't saved enough to be able to sustain their lifestyle, especially against the rising cost environment. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Natalie Ichazchik. Natalie is the research program manager at the National Institute on Aging. They've just issued a terrific new report on this. Very pleased to welcome her. Natalie, thank you for coming on today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for doing it. I've just been going through the report that you've produced today, and it's great. I encourage people to check it out. Let's talk a little bit about uh, retirement, financial well-being, and retirement ready. Natalie, what did you find out there? Are a lot of Canadians here, maybe they want to retire, but can they afford to retire? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. So um, we know that with population aging and improvements in life expectancy, Canadians will increasingly have to spend longer periods of time in older ages than ever before. And so one of the things that we wanted to look at through our survey was financial security among Canadians 50 and older. And we looked at financial security with a number of indicators, one of which was retirement readiness. And we basically asked Canadians 50 and older who were still working and who planned to retire, whether they felt that they could retire when they wanted to, in terms of being in the financial position to do so. And we found that only 35% of those who were working and planning to retire said that they were in the financial position to retire when they want, while two thirds were not. Wow. Boy, yeah. that's, that, that's pretty grim. Um, why is that, do you think? Well, we don't, you know, we can only speculate on some of those reasons, but um, another indicator that we looked at in our survey was future financial concerns. So we asked Canadians to identify what types of financial issues bring them the most concern when thinking about their futures. And by far the most commonly reported issue was the rising cost of living, which 70% of Canadians 15 older said they worried about when thinking about their futures. But the other most common issues were um, running out of money and then followed by a reduction in CPP or QPP or other government benefits. So overall, that suggests that Canadians are having a hard time um, making ends meet, let alone saving for the futures and are in a kind of you know, perfect storm of not being able to have the financial resources they need for their futures. Right. And do you, do you find that for people who are in this situation, if maybe they want to retire, but they can't afford to retire, are, are more seniors just continuing to work? Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, we were able to look at the breakdown of retirement readiness by age cohorts. So while we look at Canadians 50 and older in our study, we also looked at those 50 to 64, 65 to 79, and then 80 and older. And so not surprisingly, Canadians 80 and older made up a much smaller share of the population 50 and older who is still working. But even among those who are 80 and older and who are working and who plan to retire, only about half said that they are in the financial position to retire when they wanted to. Oh, man. Like even in their 80s, still yeah. still grinding away. Exactly. Wow. Wow. Speaking to Natalie Achazchik, National Institute on Aging, I've, off, I've also heard from people who maybe they would love to retire. That's a wonderful dream, but they can't afford it. They have to keep working. But I, I hear a lot from people who say they experience ageism when they come out to try and get a job or to keep a job. Maybe people mm -hmm. look at them and say, well, maybe you're too old for this job. You can't handle it. 
what did your survey find out about that? Because I know, you, is there ageism out there? Yeah, yeah. so um, financial security was one of like the three broad dimensions that we focused on in our survey. The other two were social well-being and then health and independence. And under this broader category of social well-being, one of the indicators we looked at was ageism. And so there um, we had the very interesting finding that Overall, very few Canadians say that they have experienced discrimination or unfair treatment because of their age when asked about it. But then we also included um, a number of measures asking about forms of everyday ageism. So common ways that people can experience ageism in their day to day lives. And there we found that ageism is quite often experienced by Canadians and becomes more common as they get older, with those 80 and older being the most likely to experience day to day ageism. Mm. How about where seniors are choosing to live into their older years? I mean, everybody wants to stay in their own home, right? Age and place. No yeah, one wants absolutely. to leave their home. What did you find out there? Like, are some are people able to stay in their home? Can they get home care? What's that like? So aging in place is definitely um, the overwhelming preference of Canadians. So we did look at that in our survey as well. And we found that overwhelmingly Canadians 50 and older who are still living in their homes want to stay in their own homes, whether that be in their current home or downsized to a smaller home. Um, and we also found that most Canadians feel pretty confident in their ability to do so when thinking about the future. But when we looked at the types of services that will make it possible for Canadians to stay in their homes, we actually found a big disconnect there. So home care was one of the things that we asked about. And we found that only about 46% of Canadians who said that they needed home care were able to access it all or most of the time, signaling that there's a very big gap there if we are going to enable our aging population to stay in their old homes. Just going back to the retirement issue for people who want to retire, they've reached the golden years, and maybe they discover that they can't afford to retire. Are you seeing any kind of trend lines there? Like are more Canadians uh, finding, uh, waking up to the reality now that, especially in a difficult economy, they can't afford to retire? Or is that number stayed pretty steady over the years? Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, this year's survey that we conducted at the NIA is the second in a series of surveys that we'll be doing. So we're going to be doing this survey every year for the next decade. And we launched our first one in 2022. And so one of the interesting things that emerged for us this year is that while these numbers about retirement readiness, financial well-being are pretty concerning, they are quite consistent with the numbers and figures that we had in 2022. So while our findings do suggest the current economic climate isn't making it easier for Canadians, um, the fact that there has been little changes over the last two years does signal also that this is like a larger, more long-lasting issue that Canadians are facing. Yeah, and, and people have to remember that you know, quite often you hear, okay, people will get to retirement age, maybe they're counting on a Canada pension plan, uh, maybe they're counting on some savings that they have in an RSP. Not everyone has saved up a ton of money in, a, in a, an RSP, not everyone has a pension they're looking at old age security. They're looking at the Canada pension plan. Are there concerns out there about whether these plans are adequate? Well, I think absolutely. If we look at our findings that, you know, the third most common concern about the future when looking, thinking of their financial situation is a reduction in CPP or QPP or government benefits. But then that the second is just running out of money signals that Canadians are worried about having to finance these longer periods of retirement with the rising cost of living and, you know, unexpected healthcare costs that can come up in older ages and just all of the um, different things that have to be factored into saving adequately for older ages.
It's, it's a great report. Natalie, thank you for coming on to talk about this today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.